Hi, Rachel. Hey, Brian. So do I even have to ask, how was your you week? You don't have to ask. So let me just tell you a story. We talk about birds a lot on One this podcast. One of our favorite topics. So I was on my way over here, and you know there's that like courtyard area on 6th Avenue and Canal Street. There's, oh, yeah. They have city bikes city there. City bikes, yeah. And so there was like this group of pigeons, and they all decided in unison to like go from one area to another, like six feet away. <laughs> so they're like sheep. They, they all go to one place at a time, at like a, lemmings. Yes. They follow each other. And one of them like grazed my head. Oh, and it was disgusting, disgusting. Like flying rats. Yes. And now I just want to put my head in like a but aren't, rat. Aren't beach. they supposed to know? Like are like when you're driving and there's a pigeon in the street, they like fly away at just the right moment. They're it's like supposed in their to DNA. Know, but, like for some reason, like this one like had moth a, to the flame. They came to like I don't know. Does it have sonar or that radar? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it's sonar no. was off. Well, that seems consistent with the week we're about to talk about. We'll break it down for you. This is This Week in Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. My name is No. My sign is No. My number is No. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. Need to let it go. Okay, Rachel, we have so many terrible things that happened this week. I mean, we could talk about the Bob Woodward book. We could, which we did last week. We yeah. could, but we even more. We could continue about. to talk about that, the op-ed. We didn't talk about the op-ed. The op-ed was breaking as we were recording last week. We could talk week. about Serena Williams. We're not even gonna, because there's, there's so much more. We have so much, much more important things to talk about. And Rachel, yeah, why don't you so start? Last week, we talked a lot about peculiar foods. And there have been some shocking revelations about food combinations. How much this more week. shopping can, could shocking could it be than smoked watermelon ham? Oh, uh, let me tell you. So, <laughs> during the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, Orrin Hatch was Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah, <laughs> Senator, <laughs> the octogenarian from Utah. He was in investigative mode, and he tried to get to the bottom of a rumor that's been going around. Okay. I didn't know that they investigated rumors in <laughs> senatorial <laughs> hearings, but okay. And he said to Kavanaugh, quote, you're the sort of person many of us would like to have as a friend and colleague. <laughs> <laughs> it's you, awfully presumptuous. I do not want to be his friend. You also apparently like to eat pasta with ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> and Kavanaugh, How does Aaron Hatch know this? I mean, he confirmed it was true. Okay, wait. Uh, this is the Republican Party that is suppressing like 100,000 documents that are pertinent to this nomination. And this is what, and this is all, what this he's, is talking what he's talking about in the about. actual nomination. Okay. okay. But if we ever suspected that Brett Kavanaugh was a garbage monster, now we have our evidence. Actual evidence. I don't care what he thinks about presidential reach of power or Roe v. Wade. I mean, I do care, but let's just say. How is he supposed to decide on Roe v. Wade or while presidential he's power? Pasta if he can't ketchup. even eat marinara sauce. <laughs> he's going to eat, like, not even Rouse, Vanessa Trump's Rouse. He wants to be nonpartisan. No, but he's going to be sitting at his desk with his clerks and he's going to be sitting there eating the ketchup. And mustard and mayonnaise on his pasta. It's disgusting. It's too horrible. That alone to is disqualifying. Yes. Like Robert Bork, if we had had that on him, he would have been gone much sooner. Clarence Thomas, forget about Anita Hill, would have never been confirmed to the Supreme Court. But this Court. is exactly what we've been saying all along. There are no standards anymore. There are no standards. We do not deserve nice things. We do not deserve nice Supreme Court justices. This is what we're going to get. And this is, I guess, what we deserve in this culture. It's... Fucking Supreme Court justices that eat ketchup on their pasta. It's... 
horrible, but that's not even the worst. That's not the worst. That's pretty bad. <laughs> so the, the bar is low. <laughs> so today, Thursday, well, you know, the Wednesday, day that this comes out. Releasing you know, on Thursday, yeah. Um, it's the primary election for governor of That's right. New, New Yorkers, York. don't forget to vote, please. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this election before. It's been very contentious. I'm undecided. I'm undecided. Yeah, well, I'm one of those undecided late breaking voters. I, I I don't know. This might sway you <laughs> one way or another. So the the scion to political dynasty, Andrew Cuomo, the son of Governor Mario Cuomo. Current governor for eight years. Yeah, exactly. He, he's going for a third term. 15th, 15th term or term. whatever. He's running against <laughs> Cynthia Nixon, the star of stage and screen, Miranda from Almost Sex in the EGOT. City. Almost an she's EGOT. She's a get. She's a EGOT. A, a get. One Oscar short of an EGOT. She's really, truly a, a very accomplished yes. actress. Yes, she's a Angela Lansbury of our time. There was a photo released of Cynthia Nixon. She was eating lox and cream cheese and capers on top of a bagel. And that bagel was a cinnamon raisin oh, bagel. Oh, no. Yeah. I've, everyone's been talking about this. This, this is, is bagel gate. It's, it's created this quite... This is the biggest issue. This is right behind, like, Russia collusion. This is the biggest <laughs> issue to rock the political world in 2018. I mean, but then I wonder... Okay. So, well, let's just break okay. this down for a second. So, real humans... In New York City, for those of you who are not in New York City, do not eat cinnamon raisin bagels. They're an abomination. I mean, they're okay with butter, maybe, as like a sweet treat. No, but, but like, that's like dessert. It's no, 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 that's not what a bagel you get. It. Everything bagel or a sesame or a poppy or an onion or a plain a or salt, whatever. Whatever. Salt, extra salt, right. But you don't get a cinnamon raisin. That's dessert. That's for the goyim. That's for people who are visiting <laughs> New York City. Right. Right. Not Cynthia Nixon. If you're going to be a real New Yorker, you eat a regular bagel. But you certainly do not pair it with locks, like fish and no, raisins. No, it's savory and sweet. It's like... It's like humans and animals should not mix. They should not mix. But I guess she was at Zabar's. And we, you know, we're cousins and we have a cousin who is married to As a, a family. We are related to the Zabar family by marriage. And we were very dedicated to the Z- the, the sort of legendary Zabar's, uh, you know, emporium on the Upper West Side <laughs> yes. that sells the best locks in the world famously. And she lives on the Upper West Side, right? Right. So, so she goes there and gets her cinnamon raisin bagel with locks. I think we're losing people. So let's get back to the plot here. <laughs> but the point is that a delicious bagel can hide a multitude of Oh, so you think the Zabar's bagel was so good? The cinnamon raisin was so good that it, she's okay for having for I'm liking not the, endorsing <laughs> it. I'm just saying that maybe it's so delicious that it masks <laughs> the awfulness of the flavor combination. No, I think it, it demonstrates a fundamental disconnect with the culture of New York City, the d- d- wonderful, diverse ethnic culture of New York City. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. No. I, that, well, well, let me just. So I got home and I started thinking about this, and I've been a supporter of Cynthia Nixon. I got into Sex in the City mode, and I was just like writing in my diary. I was like, I <laughs> you weren't going to have a fucking diary. <laughs> I couldn't. What help are you, a twelve-year-old girl? <laughs> I was like Carrie Bradshaw. You're journaling. <laughs> I, can you vote for Cynthia Nixon, but against cinnamon raisin bagels? In a city afraid of carbs, do bagels even matter? No, you cannot <laughs> vote for her. No, no. To... I did vote for her. Oh, I did okay. already. Early voting? Yeah. I'm undecided. Okay. But on the cinnamon raisin bagel issue, no. 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 Shut it down. Okay, Just shut get it a down. fucking no. everything bagel like okay. any normal 
human being in New York City. All right, um, all right. Restaurants are a big topic this week. Okay. Very big topic. And I have a few items that I think I need to draw to our attention. Um, Bring it. First of all is uh, relates to Barnes & Noble, the bookseller. And full disclosure, I used to be an employee of Barnes & Noble, not stacking the shelves. I was actually an executive in, yes. at BarnesandNoble.com. And I know the person that we're going to be... Back in the early aughts. In the early the aughts. dot-com right. bubble. Exactly. You just gave away how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So as everyone may know, Barnes & Noble sales are plummeting. They can't sell books. They've been selling fewer and fewer books every year. Um, and so if you've been into a Barnes and Noble, you realize that if you walk in, it's all like toys and Lego and Godiva chocolate. They're selling like everything but books and nothing is working. They cannot rescue their earnings. So they finally decide that they're going to have a Hail Mary pass and they're going to open full service restaurants inside Barnes and Noble. So they just want to do whatever they can to what, make this square footage. To monetize footage. their space. They're yeah. stuck with this like retail space and they got to make money doing it. So they open a restaurant. This is a, you know, a number of restaurants in select locations and they have charcuterie. They have $26 <laughs> short ribs. <laughs> And $24 salmon entrees. Who wants to eat a short rib, <laughs> like a drippy gravy short rib in Barnes and Noble? And you're like, let's have date night. I don't Where should we go? I don't know. Let's go to Barnes <laughs> and Noble. Noble for short ribs. <laughs> okay. So, unfortunately, for Barnes and Noble, for those of us who want the book industry to succeed, it has been a dismal failure. And in fact, Len Riggio, the, man, the founder of Barnes and Noble, the man I worked for, um, he finally admitted on an earnest call this week because they've actually been through like five CEOs in four years and they can't keep anybody because it's such a failure. Um, he said the top line on our restaurants, which is the sales, are good, but the bottom line is awful. So they're selling a lot, but they're losing money. Uh, we have no experience in the hospitality <laughs> era area. Things like controlling food costs and payroll costs are not in our DNA. Why don't they? What could possibly go wrong? wrong? How could they not have predicted that, like, it's not so easy for a bookstore to get into the restaurant business? And why didn't they just outsource it to, like, Danny Meyer or some other restaurant connoisseur? Yeah, they should form a partnership or, or stage, like, regional productions of Hamilton <laughs> or something. <laughs> that is not right. What did they think they were possibly going to get when they serve drippy, gravy, short ribs in I a would bookstore? Say if I had to make a list of things they should do. <laughs> with their retail space <laughs> serving short ribs would be like the last thing on absolutely the list. so that's not the only restaurant news i have this week um so there's a bold new restaurant concept this is all the problem is in in today's you know business world everything is driven by stunts and promotions because you can't just get by on quality anymore you have to have something that makes you stand out something that gives you publicity so this is about a restaurant called uh, it started in Japan called Zawa, spelled Z-A-U-O. I don't know how to say those vowels in sequence. It was founded in 1986 in Japan by a, a great entrepreneur named Noriki Takashi. And um, the gist there, and there have been a few in Japan, is that the customers sit in a huge boat like a big wooden boat. Okay. And they stand on the side of the boat and they fish with fishing poles and nets. And it is stocked with fish. The like, like in tanks? Yeah. Like no, no, no. It's like a whole water, like in a little mini ocean. It's like a koi pond? Yeah. It's like a big koi pond that surrounds this huge boat. And they fish and whatever they catch, 
they actually eat. So you eat what you catch, you hunt what you kill, you eat what you hunt. So now, of course, they are bringing it to New York City and it is opening in the Chelsea neighborhood. This is terrible. (laughs) Right. So my real question about this is how do you know what fish you're going to get? And is it really wise? <laughs> like what? Right, to eat? What they you, have a variety of fish, presumably swimming around in this thing. What if you order thing. a red snapper? No, you, you don't order salmon. anything. You just put your hook down, and whatever you and whatever get, you, you get, get. You get. Who would want to eat surprise sushi? That's like the worst. It's like <laughs> no. the opposite of omakase, where the chef like lovingly decides what to to serve you. This is the opposite. And this what is if like, nothing bites? <laughs> you go hungry. <laughs> Do you pay in I advance? Think you have to pay the same amount whether you get food or not who knows it could be anything it's a terrible idea um i think all of these people who want to go to this restaurant should just get in a boat and go out to (laughs) sea to the sea and and jump overboard and survive now the question real question is what if barnes and noble (laughs) put a boat in the middle of a bookstore stocked it with fish and let people pick the catch the fish they want to eat. It would be better than short ribs. It would be much better than short ribs. Maybe they'll catch the salmon that they're serving. No. (laughs) No. No. Barnes & Noble restaurant. No fishing restaurant. Shut it down. (laughs) Shut it down. down. Don't even. It's it's opening. Just shut it down. It is opening. Just like close before you open. Like let's protest or something. Send Cynthia Nixon to go shut it down. Governor (laughs) Cynthia Nixon. (laughs) Okay. So the the one other topic I want to bring up that is related to this is the importance, as I said, of gimmicks in retail and hospitality. There's so much sameness that if you're going to stand out and be a success, you have to have a gimmick. Because you need Instagram culture. You need Instagram. That's right. You need Instagram. You need PR. You need press releases. We talked about this with you. You see these press releases. They're ridiculous. Logan Paul and all of these people. It's horrible. We haven't talked about Logan Paul in a while. So this is a story about the um, struggling Cyan Paragon Shopping Mall in Bangkok. Oh, they're struggling all over the world. All over the world. Not just like Sears malls in like... The Mall of America. The Mall of America. Minneapolis. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fabulous mall. I've been there. Um, So... um, you know what Thailand is famous for? They have the Thai cave with the boys, the team, the wild boars. That was just two months ago that two that happened. Ago it seems like ages Elon ago. Musk it was, and the submarine and, and the, the child molester that he claims rescued <laughs> them or tried to rescue them. It was a terrible story. Um, so they decided that in order to provide a lifeline to this failing mall, they were going to create a 30 foot replica cavern of the one that the boys were stuck in. And it was very realistic. It had water and the sounds of dripping water, and it was terrifying. Now, as if that wasn't bad enough, what they did was they trouted out the actual boys who were stuck in the cave and made and them, made go them into walk cave through in the mall? cave and escape again through the cave. That's like enough to trigger post-traumatic stress <laughs> of disorder. Course. Now, to that point, psychologists, when they got out, said they need to have six months, these boys, before anyone even talks to them about it because it was obviously so traumatic that they can't even think about it and so forth. But of course, two months later, the, the, the urgencies of the mall's financial condition you know, necessitated that they had to trot them out to send them through this cave. What's more important, children or retail? <laughs> retail, obviously. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> and Brian. it was part of a much bigger, uh, much bigger exhibition. They called it 
Tham Luang, I don't know, I guess that's maybe the name of the cave. <laughs> Tham Luang Incredible Mission, The Global Agenda. The Global Agenda? <laughs> what is the Global what Agenda? The, Traumatizing agenda? children? <laughs> I mean, Thailand is not particularly known for its, like, safe space for children, I guess. I don't know. I don't I mean, know either, must... but, like, this sounds particularly terrible. This is terrible. No, like, retail, restaurants, bookstores, rein it in. This is not <laughs> acceptable behavior. This isn't your core competency. No, shut stay in down. your lane. This is not what you should be doing. No, shut it down. Shut it down. No. So, you know, we're talking about desperate industries. Desperate and I housewives. Think it's fashion week in New York City. It is. You can barely walk down the street. Everywhere they're shooting fashion There's, models. It's and everywhere. There's the tall, beautiful people walking around with their portfolios. And to the rest and, of the world, this sounds like a high class problem, but that's a nuisance in New York City. Believe <laughs> me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I used to cover the fashion industry and I didn't attend any shows this season, but I've been following what's going on on the runways a little bit. And it's pretty mystifying how far away we have gotten from what anybody will actually wear like from for exactly the same even reasons. worse than it's always been because yeah. that's always been a criticism it's, it's like you see people in these wacky outfits but as they say in devil wears prada it does trickle down into retail well, like there's a particular color or style <laughs> that like becomes the cerulean blue that andy is wearing in devil wears prada that's true so but i'm wondering how this particular <laughs> thing will trickle down okay. I, for the life of me I cannot. I don't know where this out. is going. Go ahead. So there's this new item, and it's called Poonts. Poonts. <laughs> Please spell that. Is it P O O N T Z? P O O N T S. It's a cross between pants and boots. Oh God! And so um, Jeremy Scott showed these on the runway and he's a designer he he designs for moschino and he has his own line and so he's always been pretty out there but this season is you know it's beyond anything out, he's out, done out there before so the boot goes all the way up and over your shoulders <laughs> <laughs> and like zip. over your shoulders <laughs> how does it get over your hands of your arms your extremities <laughs> And it zips down the middle and it forms. So it's like a jumpsuit? <laughs> it's, like, it's like a moon, moon a like, spaceman outfit? So, yes, it's like overalls that are wrapped around your feet, but with high heels. With high heels? Yeah. Okay, so there, it's like a moon outfit, <laughs> but instead of like. <laughs> boots it's got high heels yes and they're they were <laughs> we've done come in... so far isn't it amazing what <laughs> technology has done for this society i know i know it's it's incredible it's instagram worthy isn't it? it this one was i saw it all over and so it was latex and fluorescent and all of these different patterns and and colors and so you basically look like like a deranged minion or like a <laughs> like an oompa loompa but with like stilettos and I don't even understand who who wants this. Whoever said, I want my boots crossed with my to connect pants. connect with my <laughs> gloves. <laughs> Did you see those ones that look like pants or jeans that are upside down? So like your ass is in your crotch. No, but that's interesting. <laughs> no, it's fabulous. <laughs> it's absolutely, I can't wait to wear them to work. <laughs> it's a perfect casual no, Friday so, Okay, outfit. so next week, maybe you'll, can you pick up some poonts in like, they'll be in like the remainder bin at Barney's in two weeks. The thing is that they're not even going to sell poonts. It's just a, it's a gimmick on the runway. So this is the gimmick episode. We're, we're just going from gimmick to gimmick. And I feel like I get the idea you want to inspire, you want to excite people with your looks, but 
I'm do titillated. It way, do it in a way that creates something that's a little bit realistic. You no, know? No, 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 no. Fashion Pugs. Week, I think you've jumped the shark. No, yeah. Every time, everyone's trying to jump the shark. And this guy, fin- is it a guy? This yeah. guy finally did. And you're going to have to suffer the consequences. Yeah, I don't know. Zip up your poons and go. <laughs> Zip up your poons <laughs> Oh, that sounds nasty. No. No, no. No. All right. No. So, which brings me to my next topic, which is <laughs> called Wolf Connection. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know you had names for the segments. That's yeah. very sophisticated, very professional of you. Well, so on Facebook, you know, I'm often asked, as I'm sure you are too, to contribute to some cause for someone's it's birthday. It's the worst. It's the worst. And it's it's usually, like shaming. Like, I don't like. Yeah. And it's usually someone I don't even know. So this week, someone. For like your birthday. Yes. So someone I used to work with, I'm not going to name them, invited me to contribute to a charity called Wolf Connection Wolf for their Connection. birthday. Okay. And I was like, hmm, Wolf Connection. I'm kind of, <laughs> what is this? You know? So I, I went to the website. How could you not ask? <laughs> right. <laughs> and there was a picture of a child next to a wolf. And in a large courier <laughs> font, it says, quote, wolf therapy. We believe our connection with animals is key to healing the world. And then there are two buttons, donate or sponsor a wolf. And I'm just like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Right. So I, I went also, deeper. What's the difference between donate and sponsor a wolf? Don't they involve giving both involve giving money? Exactly. Like, what is the cause? Di- what is the difference? So what happened? It's like wolf therapy, like wolf sick therapy. children get wolves. So so I had to find out more. I was like, this isn't explaining anything. So I, I dug deeper into the About Us section and it said, Wolf Connection is a unique educational sanctuary and wilderness retreat center that brings people together through a direct relationship with rescued wolves for the purpose of empowering the next generation to become authentic leaders and stewards of the earth. They're going to devour them. I know. It's <laughs> like, like dire wolves from Game wrong? of Thrones. <laughs> with the help of the animals. Wait, so they're going to take these like troubled children from for whatever reasons, economic or at health or whatever, use, at and put risk them with wolves. <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> be a massacre. It's gonna be a massacre. That's what they do. It says that you know they learn to be of service by responsibly caring for another being. But and what do the wolves learn? The, the wolves learn nothing. The wolves will do what wolves do, which is eat fucking people. human beings. That's right. Like I'm, I'm all for like wolf sanctuaries, <laughs> and but, I'm not. Who gives a fuck about wolves? Th- I mean, there are other things that are perhaps more important. They're vicious. They can take care of themselves. I met someone today <laughs> who's told me that she was the proprietor of the biggest. <laughs> The biggest pony party company in Rockland County. Okay. Okay. So that is interesting. And I guess there is such a thing as a pony party. A pony party. And Wait. if there's competition in Rockland Party, I guess it's a point of pride that she's the biggest in Rockland County. <laughs> there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's a lot of them. So I or, I don't know what the upstate county. And um, so I guess there is a, a virtue, a value to having some kind of animal therapy, to having some animals come and, and, and help at-risk children but you don't like take at-risk children and feed them to wolves <laughs> no this is no a no wolf idea. connection no, no just i'm not donating to the- this charity i don't care if it's your birthday i don't care if it's not your birthday no <laughs> no shut it down these animals my god you know what we always say on this podcast Never animals the twain and, shall meet. Animals and humans should not, they should interact. not interact. Here's a contrary example. <laughs> Here's a delightful example. Um, this story started 
as so many stories do, with a delightful tweet that I came across this week by a woman named Anne Thoreau. I don't follow her. She was retweeted. She's a Canadian author and cat enthusiast who, on her Twitter profile, claims she is the world's <laughs> foremost Anne Boleyn truther. But okay. she has more than 50,000 followers, so we must pay attention to her. She is an influencer. And she wrote the following tweet. She said, I was trying to cheer myself up by reading a Wikipedia entry about a cat who was a station master in Japan. <laughs> I'm so confused already. <laughs> I'll Does get this there. have to do with Anne Boleyn? Stay with me. <laughs> Mary, Queen of Scots. It was working until it said that as a result of the cat's promotion to super station master, she was, quote, the only female in a managerial position in the railway company. I was so intrigued that I had to go direct to the primary source of Wikipedia and research this myself. Okay. And it turns out that it is a reference to a cat named Tama, T-A-M-A, who lived from 1999 to 2015. A little dated, but something that was brought to life by this tweet. She was uh, lived at the Kishi Station in Wakayama Prefecture in Japan. It's all a prefecture there, I guess. Uh, And that station was having financial troubles and it laid off all of the staff. And all that was left (laughs) was a stray cat (laughs) named Tama. (laughs) So in the absence of other personnel, they promoted this cat, Tama, Tama, to to Station Master. Now, this is not just an honorary thing. There are actually duties that come with this. And I'm quoting here, as Station Master, her primary duty was to greet passengers, which cats seem very, you know, well-suited to do. The position came with the Station Master's hat, and in lieu of salary, the railway provided Tama with cat food. Okay. Which is necessary so that it doesn't die. Right. I presume. And, right. and I don't know what a cat would do with a salary. <laughs> so it's probably better than a salary <laughs> or a pension or benefits. I mean, yeah. okay. So it worked. I mean, you might say this is a stunt, but, you know, the Japanese really, you know, uphold they, their animals. They so adore this is cats. It's sort of a stunt and sort of not. So once they declared this, the passengers increased 17% and it contributed an additional 1.1 billion yen to the local economy. I don't know. That might be like $100. Wait, this but this is a great business model to grasp <laughs> upon Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble <laughs> should name Tava the Cat as its store manager or a or waiter a in the restaurant or the executive chef <laughs> or something. Um it gets better. So once this, they were getting a return on their investment on the cap and the food, I guess, Tama was promoted to super station manager, which I don't know if heretofore that was an actual title, but she became super station manager. And as a reward for that, in lieu of the increased salary, it got a converted ticket booth with a litter box. Okay. And it was so successful that she was then made COO, chief operating officer of the station. Okay. It could only last so long. This story, like so many stories, ends, at the top. <laughs> ends with tragedy. Um, Tama died at age 16, which is a ripe old age for a cat. And um, when she died, there's a whole section in Wikipedia called Death and Enshrinement. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) She was given the title of Honorary Eternal Station Master. And wait, when did she die? 2015. Okay. Uh, Honorary Eternal Station Master. She was enshrined at a local cat shrine, and she was named the Spirit Goddess 
Tama Daimojian. And there was declared in the neighborhood or in the region a 50-day mourning period in the prefecture. Respectful. And what did they have to do during that mourning period? <laughs> Rend their garments? <laughs> Ululate? I don't know. Cover their mirrors? But the most important thing is the legacy. The legacy lives on. They named a successor. The successor was named Nitama. And Nitama in Japanese means second Tama. Oh, very nice. So it has a happy ending. I like that story. It's like the rise and fall of Tama, the station master. I thought this was worth reviving. This is one of the few good uses of social media. Finally, it's a story that highlights something that is <laughs> worth talking about Where's on a nope? fucking this ridiculous is, podcast. Oh, no. Wait, that's right. There's no nope here. Wait, this might be a first. <laughs> nope to whatever struck down Tama at age at the, <laughs> at age the young age of sixteen. This and also, let me story. just say categorically, like, cats should not be station masters. <laughs> so, but no, Tama, no, to, I guess to the Tama haters, or <laughs> I, I don't know. I no to I, Tama. Yes, I didn't to think Hello this Kitty. through sufficiently. This through. You know, I'm sorry, Tama. We love you. You <laughs> no should have been a yup. Okay, no Rachel, you. get us back on so, track. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about who's to blame for the presidency of Donald Trump. So and many candidates. Steve Bannon. James Comey, Vladimir Putin, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton. There's even Seth Meyers who roasted Trump at the 2011 White House Correspondents Dinner. And everyone said the roasting was so bad that it provided an incentive for Trump to run yeah, just yeah, for yeah, revenge. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, OK, wasn't okay but no filmmaker Michael Moore, <laughs> who has a new documentary about Trump and he's unveiling it in ter- at the Toronto Film Festival. This he week. Always, I feel like he always, he always has, has a new has documentary yeah. about something. Um, he thinks that the real person who is responsible for this horrible administration of grifters is Gwen Stefani. <laughs> <laughs> like from No Doubt and the yes, voice? the songstress and the songstress, singer. And... star of stage and screen? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, so Gwen Stefani, you mentioned The Voice. She was a coach on NBC's The Voice while Trump was hosting The Apprentice on okay. the same network. NBC. And NBC, right. And Trump found out that Gwen Stefani was making more money than him. And there's oh, nothing. That's the worst sin. The, you can't make more money than. Especially if you're a Even woman. though like half of America actually makes more money than Donald Trump. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he has no money. <laughs> he's a grifter. Uh, he's a total He's a grifter. broke grifter. Yes. And so uh, he found out that she was paid more money than him. And so he staged his big Trump Tower campaign announcement to generate ratings and to prove to the network that he was more popular than Gwen Stefani and to start a bidding war with other networks. Oh. Which is like... And that led to the presidential campaign? I just feel like, Michael Moore, shut up. Like, (laughs) this is nonsense. Like, it seems it, unlikely. Like Gwen Stefani there is, there is a cultural is like icon. Fifty years of neuroses building up in Donald Trump. He was behaving this way in the eighties. If he could have run for president in the eighties, he would have. This is not like some happenstance. Like Gwen Stefani was some sort of trigger. Don't drag the Harajuku girls into this drama. <laughs> right, right. They don't Especially need not this. Tama, the station master. No, no. And and so like the reporter was like calling Gwen Stefani to comment, and she was like not, I'm not commenting, even commenting on this. this this is ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but so Michael Moore. No. 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 I didn't need a lot of reasons to say no to Michael Moore, but no. Okay, Rachel, what do you got next? So I found I was scrolling through the internet through as you Twitter do, or whatever, as we all do. and I came across this column in the Sydney Morning Herald by a woman named Kerry Sackville. 
And the headline was, how to have a holiday with your best friend. Oh, it's always a challenge because you're your best friends. You go on your holiday and then all the like weird habits come out and like everyone's a little peculiar on their own holiday. So like their weird shit comes out. And the out. stakes are high. The because- stakes are high because you all paid for this vacation and you want to have a good time. And if the littlest thing goes wrong, you're fucked. Right, right. So you have to be very selective with who you go on vacation with. So Carrie Sackville says, I've just arrived home after a girl's trip to Hawaii with my best friend, Kylie. Of course, Kylie, this is Australia. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming not Minogue. For what was billed as a 50th birthday celebration. In fact, it was only Kylie's birthday. I'm still 49 and will be for quite some time. I learned a great deal this trip about traveling with a female friend. It is very different to traveling with a male partner. You enjoy considerably more chocolate and romantic comedies and exponentially less sex. Okay, a little cliche. Okay, but okay. cliche. Yeah. But so that's the first paragraph. And then you scroll down and you see there's a photograph of <laughs> Thelma and Louise. Okay. <laughs> you know, in this the- is to illustrate the article about how to go on vacation with your best friend. <laughs> yes. So I looked okay, back at people the may not know, for yeah. all our millennial and Gen Z friends um, online they may not know alert. Yeah. spoiler alert what happens so in- Thelma and Louise is one of the best films of all time of it's a Ridley Scott classic so Thelma and Louise are these two women they decide to go on a road trip Thelma gets sexually to escape their like abusive and their, horrible well, husbands yeah, they're just jerky husbands right. and Thelma gets sexually assaulted by a gross cowboy and Who's Brad Pitt? And Louise murders him. No, no, it's not Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt comes to the rescue, sort of, but then okay, steals right. all their money. Um, and then they go on on the run <laughs> and they drive off of a cliff. <laughs> In like the ultimate expression of sisterhood. Right. Right. They grasp hands and they drive off like the Grand Canyon, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. They grasp hands and, and one there's of the great no final out. scenes of all of Cinema Dumb. Right. And so the caption says... So it's an unusual choice to demonstrate how to have a wonderful time with your best friend (laughs) on a vacation. And the caption says, how to have a trip like Thelma and Louise minus most major plot points. (laughs) So that made me think, so they knew going into it. So first you, you see the picture and you think like, well, maybe some young person didn't ever see the movie and they just googled like best friend movie picture right and they got Thelma and louise but in fact they did know what happened and so then i started thinking that like they just couldn't find another movie about two women who weren't driving off of a cliff (laughs) or plotting to like murder each other so this is the best we can do and that movie was like from like what year like 1990 Yeah. yeah So here's to Hollywood. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Shut it down. Better pictures. Better, better pictures, captions. Bechdel tests no, all around. Bechdel tests. That's right. Okay. Wow. That's, that's a great assortment of, uh, of terrible things that happened this week. No <laughs> wonder I'm depressed. Yeah. These are really, 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 really an abomination. Awful. That's right. But, but... There's a reason people like this podcast, and it's not because of the terrible things we talk about. It's because of the wonderful things we talk about at the very end of the podcast. These are our yups. The glimmers of hope. These are the glimmers of hope, the beacons of light, the things that get us through the week. You know, we come in, we record this on Wednesday night. We come in Tuesday, Wednesday. It's getting worse and worse. And finally, this is the catharsis. Would you call it that? I would definitely call it that. It's somewhere between a catharsis and a catheter. Like (laughs) It's it's somewhere in there. And an enema. And an enema. And, uh. 
this is what we have to talk about. So we end with these yups. These are the best things that happened this week. The only thing that make us not want to drive off a cliff like Thelma and Louise. Rachel, why don't you go first? So, yes, for our yups this week, we, we had to look to Asia. <laughs> And As so, we cross the Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> and my yup goes out to Naomi Osaka, who is a champion. She's the 20-year-old winner of the U.S. Open. It was her first Grand Slam win, and she was playing against her idol, Serena Williams. Everyone's idol. and Everyone's idol. And they say, don't meet your idols, and You'll you shouldn't them, beat right. your idols they either. They will disappoint you, it was, yes. it, The whole thing was horrible for both players. Um, Naomi's win was historic, though. I mean, she... I mean, Serena's been on top of everything for years, for decades. For decades. And she had this horrible spat with the umpire, and everybody knows what happened. They docked a point. We're not going to... Yeah, but so... But the point is that when Naomi won, she apologized for winning, because everyone was, like, booing and she shouldn't have to. But she shouldn't have to. She is amazing. She played so well. She's half Japanese and half Haitian, and she's the first person of either of those nationalities to win... The U.S. Open. Well, and yup. Yup, yup to her. Yup to Naomi and yup to Serena for supporting her. Yeah, right on. Okay. Yep. My yup is to the nation of India. Uh, the whole the nation. <laughs> of all nations, the nation of India, who uh, the Supreme Court this week uh, ruled that uh, consensual sex between same-sex partners was legal. It's an abomination to think that it wasn't legal until this week, but now it is. The Supreme Court went even further than that. They, they were emphatic. They called that the ban was uh, indefensible. Mm-hmm. And not only did they legalize sex, which is a little bit like not entirely the point, they said that Gays get all of the protections of the Constitution, which is actually a big step. And there were so many haters because it's a, actually a, quite a conservative society. Yes. And there was all kinds of backlash. But fuck all of them. I'm not even going to give them voice to their problems, I think. And and I think people should know there are still a significant numbers of number of companies where homosexuality is illegal, where gay sex is illegal, where openly any kind of open show of love between same sex people is considered propaganda like russia uh-huh. so i think we can't forget all those companies but let's take a moment to rejoice in to rejoice a, in this moment a India, moment of sanity from, from being on the right side of history finally right. right well rachel you and i are on the right side of history we I'd are, like to think. i like to think we are the best thing we can do is we talk about these horrible things that the best thing we can do is call them out try to be on the right side of history and you know podcast listeners the best thing you could do is be on the right side of history with us and rachel what can people do to I mean, there's a few things that they can do. <laughs> Start naming They them. <laughs> could subscribe to our podcast. They can rate us. They can rate us on Write a iTunes, review with actual review words in English. Yeah. With words. Or any language. We love words. We love the English language. <laughs> We're or, a speaker of words. Or in other languages. Any language. Any language. Esperanto. <laughs> the universal <laughs> just, language. Just say something. Or tweet us. And most importantly, say something in person. People say, I see so often people like, I'm bored with my podcast. I've listened to Serial. I don't want any more murder podcasts. I don't want any more like daily news podcast like what can i listen to and if you're looking for something informative this is not the podcast if you're looking for something entertaining i can't be the judge but a lot of people say maybe this is the one for you uh, and informative too i mean i've had people tell me that this is how they get their news and i say that's That's terrible given that the amount of misinformation that we convey that means that it's absolutely terrible i say Good for you, but that's terrible. Okay. So thank you so much for your support. Please shout it from the rooftop. We've had a terrible week, but a wonderful time making this podcast. This has been This Week in Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. Wanna be my new friend? We got a lot in common. We can talk about 